0: Thank you, Nicole. When are you on again? No, I'm just teasing. (laughs) Morning, everybody. Um, I don't see many young people here, but a little health warning. I'm going to be talking about circumcision this morning. So if you've got anybody with you and you don't necessarily want to explain that to them, just to tell you, just to let you know. It's great to see you. How are you doing? That's made everybody go quiet and sit up, hasn't it? Try that again next time. This morning is an X-rated talk. No, I'm teasing. It's great to see you. Um, We have been, as you know, uh, working through a series called Consecrate Yourselves and it's based on a word from Joshua chapter 3 verse 5, which we shared with the church over a number of weeks, that we felt that God was highlighting for us in this season as a really important word for our church. And the word is that Joshua told the people in chapter 3, verse 5, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. The context for this word is, as you've probably heard over the last few weeks, that the Israelites are preparing to cross over the River Jordan, um, finally after 40 years of wandering in the desert, and they're about to enter into the land that God has promised for them, the promised land. Uh, We haven't been wandering in the desert for 40 years as a church, or at least I hope we haven't. Um, But we do have a feeling that this season that we are in as a church—that one season—is sort of coming to a natural end as we sort of um, complete some of our building project that's been a focus for us for the last two or three years. But also that we, as we look to God for the next season and launch into what is it that You are calling us to next? What is the big adventure? And we definitely had a sense from God as leaders, as we were praying and thinking and reflecting on where we're at and what God is doing, that this was a time when God was inviting us to consecrate ourselves, to come before him again. The word consecrate means to declare something as holy, to make it sacred, to deliberately set it apart. And the sense for us is that God is inviting us to be deliberately set apart, to to take time to... Walk us to draw aside to be in his presence to make some intentional decisions to come near to him again to be renewed in our faith. And as Joe said last week, when we talk about consecration, or sometimes we use the word holiness, when we talk about that, I often, if you've been around church a while, perhaps it brings to your mind, Oh, straight away, oh, this is about my weakness and my inability to live according to God's instructions. This is about. Feelings of guilt and shame because I haven't made it. I haven't lived up to the mark. I haven't hit the standards. I haven't ticked the boxes that are required of me. But this isn't about that at all. This isn't, God is not wanting to do this to draw attention to our failure. He's not a strict headmaster waiting to pounce. He's an amazing and wonderful and loving father who is waiting to embrace us. And as Joe shared last week, the invitation is in our weakness, can I come to God more? Can I embrace him more fully? He wants us close to him. Holiness or consecration is acknowledging that I am who God says I am. That I'm just, I'm not, and if you remember, Joe shared that she said that in, from her perspective, the, most, the thing that God spoke to her about that most offends him is when she doesn't treat him as God who he really is and doesn't act as what she who she really is if you missed that talk it's a really good talk so you should check that out online that's a challenge for all of us though isn't it living up to who God says we really are and so I introduced this theme of consecration about a month ago and we looked at the story from Joshua chapter 3 and a bit of chapter 4 of how the Israelites first prepared to cross the River Jordan. And then actually how they literally crossed over as the Levites carried the Ark of the Covenant into the shallows of the river. The river dried up and the whole of Israel passed over into the Promised Land. And today I want to pick up the next bit of that story. And if you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn to Joshua chapter 5. Um, and we're going to read from verse 2 to verse 11. Okay? Um, this is called the circumcision at Gilgal. At that time, verse 2, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. And then there's about four verses of explanation on why he did that. Now this is why he did so, verse 4. All of those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, had died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about about in the wilderness for 40 years until all those men who were at military age when they left Egypt had died. Since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that he would not, that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their places and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Feels a bit long-winded to me, but that's the Bible. (laughs) In this case, that's the way the story is written and the story is told. And if you remember, if you know, if you remember the context of this, all of this was because 40 years previously, God had sent uh, the Moses had sent some spies into the land to see what kind of land it was. And those spies had come back and said, it's an amazing place. God is really going to bless us. Yes, there are some enemies. Uh, and in fact, two of the spies had said, yes, there are enemies, but God can easily beat them. Ten of the spies had said, don't even go near there. The enemies are too big. And God said, because of your lack of faith, all of you are not going to enter in apart from these two. One of whom was Joshua, who's now leading God's people. Verse eight, after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. And then the Lord said to Joshua, today, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So this place has been called Gilgal to this day. And on the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped that day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. This is God's word and it's meant to be an encouragement to us. And we're going to try and figure out how that applies this morning. So as part of the process of consecration... God instructed Joshua to do two things before they entered the promised land. The first was circumcision, and the second was to celebrate Passover. We will talk about both, but as most of this passage is about circumcision, we're going to start there. Now, as I prepared for this talk, I actually turned onto this chapter when I was preparing for the previous talk about three or four weeks ago, consecration, and I felt like God was speaking about that. I turned over to chapter five, circumcision, and I just had this thing, gosh, I think there's something there for us to learn. And as I've reflected on that over the past few weeks, I've realised that in nearly 50 years of being in church, I can't ever remember hearing a sermon about circumcision. So here goes. And fellas, I hope you're not feeling squeamish. I will spare you the graphic details, you can always look them up for yourself. I did watch one YouTube clip which made me squirm a little bit. Um, As you probably know, circumcision is the operation to surgically remove the foreskin of a male's penis. Okay? It mostly happens shortly after birth and sometimes, sometimes during childhood or around puberty and it's usually part of a rite of passage. Now there are some medical benefits and there may well have been more medical benefits back in ancient times. But essentially this is a really common practice for many ancient cultures. It was a ritual act of purity in Egypt. This wasn't something that, that was just um, just especially for the Jews. Okay? It's still common in Jewish and Islamic faith today. Although it would probably be fair to say that like many religious practices, for some people it's taken on more of a cultural significance than a spiritual one. But there's a lot of spiritual significance um, in in circumcision and the Bible has quite a bit to say about it. And that's what we're going to look at first this morning. So God's people have been wandering for about 40 years and they are finally on the verge of taking this land that God has promised them. And they have even crossed the river in a miraculous way. This is a key moment in this story. And key moments usually require grand symbolic gestures. I'm not sure it's the kind of grand symbolic gesture I would have chosen if I was in charge. But it's what God decided to do. Normally circumcision would be formed on an eight day old child. And so circumcising that many adult males in one go is a massive event. I'm not going to show you any graphic details. But I did find this from the Lego Bible on screen. You might enjoy that. Okay? But don't overlook verse 8 in the text, which says that they remained in camp until they were all healed. I've got another picture for that as well. Okay? Now, I've checked on the NHS website, and according to the NHS website, um, the average um, time it takes for a circumcision to heal is around 10 days. Okay? So we're talking about all of the fighting men of this, this group being effectively laid out and unable to fight for 10 days. They've crossed the river. They're in the enemy's territory. They're potentially vulnerable to any kind of attack. And what's the first thing God instructs them to do? Arm yourselves ready for war? No. What does God say? It's a real act of faith this. He says I want you circumcised. This is, a, this is an act of faith on their part and a fresh commitment that they are again going to be identified as God's people. Not just bound together as some political entity, not just a, a group of people who happen to live together, but actually God's people in the land that God has promised them. What's that all about then? What does circumcision mean? According to the Bible, physical circumcision is a sign of God's covenant with his people. It's a physical sign of a covenant promise. A covenant means when two or more people come together, they form an agreement, they make a promise, which is based on privileges and responsibilities. Okay? And you might use, also you choose to use the word a testimony or a testament. But the story of much of the Old Testament is based on God's covenant relationship with his people. It starts with Abraham, who God promises will be the father of a great nation, that he'll be blessed with many descendants. I'm going to read you a few different references here. You might want to look them up if you can quickly, but I've got them written down. Okay, Genesis chapter 12, verse one and two. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the start of the Jewish nation. This is the start of God's people. This is God choosing a man A man of faith, actually, and promising fruitfulness through this man, Abraham, and his descendants. He promises land, and he promises blessing. And he promises not just blessing for them, but he promises blessing for the whole earth through them. This is a really special moment. This is a special family in God's eyes. He has chosen Abraham and his descendants to partner with him. God is looking to establish a covenant relationship, a promise. He's looking for something back from them in return for all this blessing. He's looking for obedience. He's looking for a life set apart. You probably wouldn't use this language, but I think it's fair to say God is looking for some kind of consecration from Abraham and from his people, and so Abraham responds positively, he doesn't have children, and his wife is too old for them, but actually he takes a step of faith, uproots his household, and sets off on his adventure with God, which ultimately leads him to settling in this special land, and his wife ultimately giving birth to Sarah, uh, sorry, his wife Sarah giving birth to his son Isaac, through whom God continues and carries out this blessing to a whole nation, and as part of this covenant that they established together, God instructs Abraham to circumcise every male in his household. I'm going to read you some verses from Genesis 17 verse 10. God says this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. This is not an act of racial purity. It's not about social status because every male in Abraham's household is required to join in that includes the slaves those who he's bought from other places those with a different kind of background the foreigners and it includes all the newborn children why because circumcision is a sign of god's covenant with his people it's symbolic it might seem extreme to you and me maybe they could just exchange letters i was thinking you know football teams used to exchange pennants didn't they with each other Maybe if it was a bit more serious, they could exchange a drop of blood. This seems like a really big commitment on behalf of God's people to keep up their part of the bargain. But I think it's symbolic in three ways. The first thing, circumcision is a private reminder of this covenant. The removing of the excess foreskin is a physical sign, which isn't normally visible to other people. But it's a way for a man to be privately reminded several times a day that he is... Chosen by God, special and in a covenant relationship. It's a private reminder of his identity. Not only is it private, but it's permanent. Perhaps in a similar way to how, and this is, there's an ancient, there's an old practice, isn't there? If you, if you know the film or the story of Les Miserables, they do it in here. But, you know, slaves or, um, or prisoners might be branded on their skin. With, uh, with, with a bit of with a hot metal. And a mark would be left that would be there permanently as a permanent reminder. In the story of Les Mis, um, it, the whole thing is about Jean Valjean and how he can't ever get rid of this permanent brand on his chest, which is his prison number. And he says, as long as this is here, it's a permanent reminder of who the law says I am. And that's a negative connotation. But if you switch that around in a positive way, I wonder if in, in, in some way circumcision is a permanent marking to remind somebody of who God says they are. A mark that reminds this man that he is chosen and special and in a covenant relationship with God. Perhaps a more modern day equivalent would be to get a tattoo of somebody that you really love on your skin. And lastly, it's a sign of generational blessing. It's the circumcision of the man's reproductive organ is also a symbol That his family's fertility and therefore their future lies in God's hands. That God will indeed fulfil his promise to extend the blessing to Abraham's offspring and to all the subsequent generations. So that's why it's there. That's part of their heritage. That's part of their story. And as Joshua 5 explains, that we just read, the Israelites hadn't continued this practice for all the boys who were born while wandering the desert. I don't know why that is, but for whatever reason... The men of of fighting age had all died out and the next generation had not yet been circumcised. And so before entering into this new season and in order to make sure that the covenant was still strong, perhaps it's a way of pushing the reset button. God instructs Joshua to circumcise all the men who hadn't yet been circumcised. This is a key time in the history of God's people. He is symbolically renewing his promise with them. He's asking them to renew their promise with him. And just as an aside, the place that this happens is called Gilgal. And in Hebrew, that sounds very similar to two Hebrew words. One is galal, which is a verb which means to roll. And another one is galgal, which is a noun that means a wheel. And so there's this kind of sense that in, in taking this action, the Lord has rolled away the reproach, the disappointment, the disapproval. Of Egypt in other words for, for God's people God is he is putting an end to this sorry chapter of their lives and preparing to properly move on to the next few, to their future plans and purposes that's where I think the circumcision the act of circumcision comes from in the Bible so I hear you say that's all very well Nigel what are you actually saying have you got a little place prepared for all the men to file out and have a little operation no I haven't. You'll be relieved to know that I think, from a biblical perspective, that's not what the Lord is asking us to do now. So why does it talk so much about it? What is the significance? How does it connect to consecration? And you can look through the Bible and it talks a lot about the physical act of circumcision, but it also talks about circumcision and circumcision as a metaphor. And it uses the phrase, the circumcision of the heart and the bible uses this phrase both old testament and new testament it means as a metaphor for the whole person a whole person choosing to stay close to god in body in soul and spirit the bible says that the state of a believer's heart is even more important than the physical markings on their body you know, some Jewish people thought that simply having the mark of circumcision was enough to keep them close to God, despite however they behaved. But Paul teaches us in Romans 2, he says, no one is a Jew who is merely where are we? Yes, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, and nor is circumcision outward and physical. Paul says, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. What Paul is teaching here is that it isn't enough for a Jew to be simply, for the symbolism to be outward and physical. It's also about what is going on in the heart, what is going on inside. You may remember, for example, The story about when David, the shepherd boy, is chosen and anointed to be the next king of Israel. He has six brothers who are all more qualified, so it would seem, uh, certainly bigger, certainly stronger, and looking more like a leader and a fighting man than David was. And uh, um, as the prophet is going down, he's saying, is it this one, God? Is it this one, God? It really looks like him. I hope he's going to be the next king. He looks like king material. And God says, no, I'm not looking at the outside. I'm looking at the heart. And therefore he chooses David, the little shepherd boy who the rest of the family had sort of forgotten about because he was out in the field looking after the sheep. You see, God is more interested in what's going on inside than what's going on outside. What's outside is important, what's symbolic is important, but it isn't disconnected to what's going on in the inside. And so Paul is writing this after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the letter of Romans is all about Paul explaining the impact that Jesus has had on this covenant which the Jews had with God and have been living under for all these centuries now I don't have time to go into all the details of why that is and how that is now but Jesus had renewed the covenant with God and his people and one upshot of that is that we now no longer it's now no longer just Jewish people who can come and be in God's family Actually, Paul is using this passage to argue that those of every ethnic background who choose to believe in the gospel can be saved if they choose to follow Jesus. That is how they come into the family of God. And it's not about an external symbol, not about circumcision as an external symbol anyway. And there's a quote here from the New Testament scholar Tom Wright. Just on this passage, Tom Wright says this, Paul believed that through Jesus, the Messiah, Israel's God had renewed the covenant and was now welcoming into that new family all of those, irrespective of their ethnic background, and hence outward badges like circumcision, who believed the gospel. You didn't have to have the badge of circumcision to come into God's presence. You just needed to believe the gospel and follow Jesus. And here, Paul is sketching in very briefly the much fuller picture of the Christian life, of the renewal of the heart by God's spirit, which he will return to in passages like chapters 8 and chapter 12 in Romans, which we looked at some time ago. So under the new covenant, this new agreement which Jesus has introduced, followers of Jesus, including us, can enter into God's presence, can enter into God's family, and it's not, our foreskins he's after it's our hearts do you get me but he's using this very powerful metaphor it's significant and by our hearts i don't mean our physical hearts i mean our whole selves our whole being the heart is a picture of the whole person proverbs 4 for example says uh guard your heart above all else where have i gone i need to go back My apologies. Guard your heart for everything you do flows from that. So in other words, another another translation says, guard your heart, it is the wellspring of life. So circumcision of the heart refers to the way that believers live their whole life. How we choose intentionally to live God's way. It's not just for the men, it's for everyone. Ladies, I thought you might feel that you were missing out this morning. We've just sung it this morning, purify my heart. And it's actually not even a New Testament concept because Paul is drawing on language from way back in the Old Testament before the story of Joshua. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, uh, verse 6, I'll read you verse 5 and 6 actually. The Lord your God will bring you into a land that your fathers possess that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So all this time, circumcision has not just been a symbolic, physical sign of what God is doing with his people, but it's been always also a metaphor for what God is doing with the whole Of a person's life. I love this language. Right back from the start of things, God is promising incredible blessing to his people. He says, I will change your heart so that you can live in covenant with me. We will be friends. We will be partners. And despite God's people messing up time and time again and breaking their part of this covenant, God constantly finds ways to rescue them and bless them and reaffirm them. Another verse in Ezekiel, the prophet later on, Ezekiel 36, um, I'm going to read you from 25. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from your idols I will cleanse you, verse 26, and I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. because And cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. And you shall dwell in the land. That I gave to your fathers. And you shall be my people. And I will be your God. God is a God of rescue. And of renewal. And of restoration. And He never, he never gives up on his people. And ultimately that meant sending Jesus. His own son. To pay the price for sin. And for those of us who choose to follow Jesus, he's asking for what in return? Not for our foreskins, for our whole selves. He's asking for our hearts in return. In the new covenant, God's part of the deal was to deal with our sin once and for all on the cross. And our part of the deal is what? It's the circumcision of our hearts. Yeah, sure, Nigel, that's a nice phrase. But what does that actually mean? The best explanation I found of this comes from a pretty well-known preacher Called John Wesley, who said this The circumcision of the heart is a right state of soul, a mind and spirit renewed after the image that created it. And that's one of those important truths that can be spiritually discerned, John Wesley said. A right state of soul, a mind and spirit renewed after the image, in other words, God that created it. That's what it means, according to Wesley. He actually preached the whole sermon called the circumcision of the heart. He preached it at St. Mary's in Oxford in front of Oxford University on January the 1st, 1733. And there's just one more paragraph from this. I have to warn you, the language is quite dense because it's 300, 400 years old. Okay, but it says this, I am the first to inquire wherein that circumcision of the heart consists which will receive the praise of God. In general, we may observe it is that habitual disposition of the soul which in the sacred writings is termed holiness and which directly implies the being cleansed from sin from all filthiness both of flesh and spirit and by consequence the being endued with those virtues which were also in Christ Jesus that being so renewed in the spirit of our mind as to be perfect as our father in heaven is perfect do you love that I love that it's a bit hard to read so I sort of highlighted some of the key points. Habitual, (laughs) have I made that even more hard to read? (laughs) It looked quite good on my computer screen. (laughs) A habitual disposition of the soul, being cleansed from sin, being endued with those virtues which were also in Christ Jesus and being renewed in the spirit of our minds so that we are perfect as our father in heaven is perfect. That's what Wesley is saying. Cleansed from sin, made like Jesus, and renewed by the Spirit, so that we're more like, more like God. Does that sound good to you? That sounds like a real deal to me. How do I play my part in this covenant? How do we make sure that our hearts are in the right place before God? You know, Nicole talked about, right at the start of the service, what, what clothes we might need to get rid of in this season. What God might be asking us to take off, what he might be asking us to put on. Another way of approaching that question might be, What is God asking us to cut from our lives? I'll tell you a story that happened to me this week. I don't come out very well in it. I was driving to work down the Andover Road and those of you who know Winchester know that there's a funny junction down the bottom of the Andover Road and uh, there are two lanes and it's a just a funny arrangement on the road so that people are trying to go one way and they're trying to cross over and one lane has a filter which uh, goes first, so if you can get in there, you can get up quick and get off into town. Except that there's people trying to cross, and I was coming down, and there was a guy sort of biddling about in the middle, not quite sure which lane he was going in. And I was, frankly, impatient. <laughs> and so, I'm only I'm really telling you this because I'm not sure this never happens to any of you. Um, as I went down, I saw that he'd basically positioned himself sort of in the middle of the two lanes, and I was like, what? <laughs> because this lane was all clear and that lane was waiting for their filter lane. And I was like, I can get up there and I can get around the thing quickly. And I looked at it and I was like, can I get through there? I don't think I can just get about get through this." So, so I squeezed down and I squeezed past him. But here's the bit I'm not very proud of. As I went past him, I... Spoke to him. Obviously he couldn't hear me because his window was up and my window was up. But I think the gesturing that I made was enough for him to understand what I was saying, which was basically either get in that lane or get in this lane, but choose a lane and get in it and let me get on with my day. Thank you very much. And as I did that, I looked up and I realised I knew the guy. (laughs) Didn't recognise his car, recognised his face. Worse than that. Well, actually, this, it, it doesn't matter that I knew him. It was pretty shocking anyway. But it was just, as I, as I drove past him and all that got off my chest, I went, oh, it's him. He's a member of pastoral staff in another church in Winchester. <laughs> sure enough, I got to work and 15 minutes later I had a nice email <laughs> with, a, with a little description of how the cars were and why it is that that junction's a problem. And I'm sorry, I hope I didn't wind up, you know, st- put, cause too much disruption in your day. And I was like, oh, Rubbish. So I started to reply in the email, trying to, trying to work out whether I was going to be funny or whether I was going to be sorry. And in the end I thought, I'll just call him. So I called him and I apologised and he was very gracious to me. <laughs> very, very gracious. And um, what do you need to cut in this season from our lives? For me, one of the things I need to cut is impatience. And one of the things I need to embrace is gentleness and self-control just need more of God in me. So, three responses to this message this morning, and we're going to celebrate communion at the end of this talk as well. Three things that we may want to do in response to what I'm saying. The first response is baptism. There's a verse, you see, Jesus instructed his followers to baptize all of those who believed in him. Jesus defeated sin and death when he rose from the dead. And in baptism, we symbolize our death and and the burying, our death to sin and the burying of our old life when we go down. And as we come up, the brand new life that Jesus gives us. And Paul draws a really direct link between circumcision and baptism in Colossians 2, here, 11 to 13. He says, in him, you were also circumcised, With a circumcision made without hands, by the putting off of the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. Let me read that again. In him also were you circumcised, with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Isn't that fantastic? So Paul is there saying circumcision, baptism, it's kind of the same thing. He's almost saying to the Colossians, if you're a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptised, maybe today or right now, but maybe now in this season is your time. You know, in choosing to follow Jesus, you've already been renewed. You've already changed. You've already started again. But as we've seen this morning, symbolism is very important. And the symbolism of going down into the baptism waters And coming back up again is a really powerful and symbolic way of showing what Jesus has done in your life. And if you are a follower of Jesus and you haven't done that, I would challenge you to think that through. Maybe as an act of consecration, that's a step that you can take. A public step to say, I'm ready to show everybody what Jesus has done in my life and to go through that symbolic symbolic step. We hold baptism services regularly here and we'd love to talk to you. David, I've read this quote before, but David Pawson, who's a preacher, said this about baptism. He said, a lot of Christians wouldn't need a ministry of deliverance if they saw what their baptism had done. As Pharaoh's troops were drowned in the waters of the Red Sea, so are Satan's demons drowned in the waters of baptism. And sin has no more dominion over you. And if you are a believer who has been baptized, then be assured that the power of that symbolic act and actually what God has done through your baptism and through the renewing of your life gives you all of the identity that you need and all of the authority that you carry. And so if you're a Christian and you've been baptised and you've forgotten what that means, or if you're thinking, I don't really know, what is this all about? Or i have just kind of looking at all the negativity, I'm struggling in my life, I'm I'm finding it hard. Maybe as an act of consecration this morning, determine to live up to everything God has already called you to be through your baptism. Focusing on him and not on you. That's response one. And it may be that some people want to take that step. Response two is in communion. You see, after the Jews have been through this renewal of their covenant with God, Joshua leads them in a Passover celebration. And this is to remind them of their rescue from Egypt, and more importantly, to reaffirm their status as free people. Free from the oppression of slavery. Free to follow God. Free to be God's people the way he's created them and just as they celebrated Passover out there in the new land over the river they pressed the reset button again and so we can do the same in communion Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with his followers just before his death and he taught them that the bread and wine took on a new symbolism in relation to this new covenant and that actually now the body is the the bread is his body and the blood the wine is his blood shed for us and he instructed his followers when you celebrate communion do this and remember me do this in remembrance of me he says In communion, we're not only reminded of Jesus' death and resurrection for us, but our status is reaffirmed. We are free people. People, we are free people. Come on. Hallelujah. I've all shocked you into the whole, um, it's the circumcision thing, hasn't it? It's um, shocked you into silence. We're not only reminded, I'll say that again, in communion we're not only reminded of Jesus' death and resurrection, but our status is reaffirmed. We are free, free from our sin, bought by God and chosen to live for him and to partner with him. There is a lady who was here last week and after the service she spoke to me. She's been coming for a while and she said to me, I have never sat near the front of church before. Last week I jokingly at the beginning of church said if you sit near the front, you know, you'll get more of God's blessing, okay, it's not really true, strictly. God's blessing is everywhere. But I'm getting that look from my wife now. Um, any, pardon? No, it's not true. But anyway, she decided to do that. And then Joe was speaking about how you feel the fear and you do it anyway when God calls you to do something. And Joe called us to, do, to, to take communion. This lady came to me afterwards. She said, today is the first time I have ever stepped forward to take communion in this church. And I feel completely different. I mean, she was physically, visibly moved. She, she, she couldn't really find the words. And she said, something has happened today. She said, I saw Joe talking and I thought, if she can do it, I can do it. She said, I've never, I've never stepped out before because I don't want everyone to look at me. I mean, by the way, we're not looking at anybody when we take communion. But that was what was going on for her. And so in that act of stepping forward, she completely met God in a new way. And she literally didn't know what to do about it. I mean, she was shaking. Something had happened. And so maybe as an act of consecration today, we're going to celebrate communion in a minute. Step out in communion. Dare to believe that in this simple act of taking a bit of bread and drinking a bit of juice, As we remember what Jesus did on the cross, he can rescue us from anything and everything that will hold us back. And in this moment, circumcise your heart. Trust him with your life. Cut things off that need to be cut off. And with every situation, expect him to show up. Expect his presence. Are you with me on this? So that's two responses. Baptism. And communion. And the third response is something we talked about earlier on in the year. And that's just a quick reminder about the rule of life. When we covered all the material around um, emotionally healthy spirituality, uh, we talked about this personal rule. A personal rule of life is an intentional path of real, concrete steps taken for the purpose of forming our lives around an ideal or goal. Another way to think of it is a training schedule. An intentional plan to keep God at the centre of all I do in prayer, through rest, through work activity, and through relationships. Now if you want to find out more about that, you can go back on the website and find the talks that are from there. But there are three possible responses this morning. There may be some others too, and maybe God wants to do something else. But we're going to take communion together as a way of pressing the reset button as a way of reaffirming our faith and our identity and our status as free people before God. And if, that, if this morning you're here and you've never made a commitment to follow Jesus, you've never made that decision or taken that step, we would love to chat. We'd absolutely love to chat some more. Come and speak to me afterwards and I'm not going to force you to do anything, but I'd love to chat to you and maybe pray for you. I'm going to finish with this verse from 2 Corinthians. It says, and we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. We are being transformed as we contemplate the Lord's glory. The more we look to him, the more we become like him. What is he asking us to cut today? And how are we going to circumcise our hearts and bring our whole selves back before him? Why don't we stand together and just have a moment of quiet. Holy Spirit, it's about you and the work that you are doing among us. It's not about us, it's about you. Thank you for... the gift of life and the challenge of consecration. And Lord, today we come before you as your people and we would ask that you would come and minister to us and partner with us. And Lord, where we need challenging, challenge us. Holy Spirit, would you come and show each of us individually what your Desired responses for us this morning. Show us if there are areas that we need to cut off. Show, if there are, show us if there are parts of our lives that need attention, that need rededication, that need change, need transformation. And I just encourage you to just open your hearts and open your ears and listen to what the Lord might be saying. And let's bring ourselves before him. It's a serious challenge. And in that moment, God, we want to meet you. Perhaps those who are coming to serve communion could come and do that. That would be brilliant, thank you. Thank you, guys. And what we're going to do is we're going to have four stations around the corners of the room. And I think this one over here will be gluten-free. That's usually the way it goes. And if you are a believer in Jesus, whether you're part of this church or another church, feel free to come. And just to take some bread and dip it in the juice and to take both. And feel free to come when you're ready and just pray. Lord Jesus, you said that when we did this, we were to remember you. And so here we are remembering you death your resurrection what you went through on the cross for us and Lord as we do that come and meet with us in communion so that we experience your presence now and we're able to complete and confirm on that covenant again to press the reset button again to affirm our status as free people